Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce And we have the author of, this is really a cool book The Deadening Carrie Peresta, what would you do if you were in a coma and woke up and you really didn't know who you were? You couldn't move, and you find out later that you really don't know who you are. We're about to find that out because that is really scary, but you never know. It could really happen. So good morning, and how are you today? We are so ready for this. Oh, good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to digging into all of your very interesting and unique questions. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just me now. If I, if I ask something that you know is too pointed, just say pass, whatever. But this really got me. The first scene in the prologue. How did you create that? And I didn't like that person at all. Being honest. Oh, I understand. Um, so the prologue in the first scene. Originally, chapter one was the prologue, uh-huh. but my agent wanted me to add more suspense to the book. You did. So she, so, <laughs> so, and so in an effort to do that, I wrote another prologue and I moved my original prologue into chapter one. And what I thought about was, okay, how can I foreshadow something that will be confusing? So mm-hmm. if you notice, as you go throughout the book, there are two blue towel incidents, and they are interrelated. This it's scary. Let me tell you, because I had no idea who did this, and then I'm saying, wait a minute, i got to figure this out. So in yeah. chapter one, which is right in front of me, I was so nervous just now. I said, I have so many books. I have like about 30 staring at me for, for interviews all the way to the end of November. And I'm going like, where is oh, wow. this book? It's got to come. And it just sort of fell on me, which is good. So how did Nathan find Olivia, and what made him look into where she was? That's scary. Well, Nathan, um, was a, he's been two months onto the job. He's training to be a lab tech, and he's bored. And so he's yep. taking his, norm, his normal break out into the hospital grounds, which the hospital grounds are beautifully manicured, and they have walking paths. So he veers from the walking path, and he goes into the shrubbery. He's taking a smoke break, and he trips. He trips, and it's, and it's something that's kind of heavy, and he and he falls, and he falls onto flat onto his hands, and he's like, first of all, amazed that he fell down, but then he realizes he feels something warm and sticky beneath his hands, and something soft. And so the the moon moves off, the the moon moves out from behind the clouds, and he sees mm. this very shadowy form of a of a bleeding human being. So he it's a it's an accident. That he found her. He thinks, 
Well, he doesn't really know, but so he takes it to the hospital. Takes it to the hospital. And hospital staff takes over. What did they realize about her and the cause of her lack of awareness? She was in a coma. How come? Well, at least she thinks she was. Well, this is. I contacted my daughter-in-law, who's a paramedic, so for okay. research into this. And so she said the first thing they would do in the event of finding an almost dead, bleeding person in the bushes is that the trauma team um, would stabilize her. Would they, ha- they ran and got a team. They got their board to put her onto. They made sure that she didn't have a neck injury, but they could tell that she had an injury to the head. She was bleeding from the head. So they mm. wrapped the wounds, put her on the board, just got her on the gurney, and got her into the ER dock. They they stabilize her until the neuro can come in the next morning and do a more thorough exam because um, with a Jane Doe, she's admitted as a Jane Doe, no ID, no nothing, and she's obviously mm. critical. She's almost dead. She's barely breathing, and so all they can do is stabilize her, but they can see, of course, that she has had blunt force trauma to the brain. So a neuro is not normally um, available in the wee hours of the morning. So uh, the ER doc, all they can do with the brain injury is wait until the swelling recedes or continues to swell. So what he did was order a CAT scan, which would be the most important thing in this situation, and a blood panel is routine to determine what the cause could be of this injury. And so the next morning, they come in Mm. and stabilize her, and he looks at the CAT scan and the test, and she has gone into a coma during the night. You know, it's really scary because I read this. This brought back nightmares to me. My sister had a major heart attack on June 26th, which is why my new book is coming out that day in her memory. And she had an EEG and all the rest of it, and I asked that question, exactly what you said. How do you know that she's really not there? How can you tell? And they claimed mm-hmm. that she had no brain function. So I did ask the you know, mm-hmm. head neurologist to come, and he said, well, we're not sure yet. Maybe she does. When they took her off of life support, there was no reason for it. That's what's scary. So, uh, that, mm-hmm. yeah. So when she gets awake, and you had to do mm-hmm. research in it, um, how did she, yep. how did, what happens when she finally realizes she doesn't know who she is, or at least she thinks she doesn't know who she is. That was really scary. Um, I did significant research, mostly online. Yeah. Um, but I did. The inspiration for the story was a woman that I met at my first book, one of my first book signing events, who had this thing had actually happened to her. So the oh, seed God. of the story came. Yeah, the seed of the story came because I didn't know these things existed. Like your your brain could rewire itself. That brains are just so complex, fascinating organs. And this woman was in a car wreck, and she almost died. She was in a coma for six months, six months. And um, then when she awoke, she was a completely different person. Mm. She went from shy and retiring and kind of a wallflower to this aggressive, funny, chatting everybody up person. And I was so fascinated because I wondered why she was the most popular person in the room. But anyway, that's where it started. But what I learned was that brain injuries are tricky and they can go several different ways. Yeah. But one thing is certain, they have to wait on the test results and then weigh the options. See, with the Jane Doe, they didn't even know her medical history. Some Mm. of the medications they could give her 
could have drastic reactions. And so they, they're trying their best to identify her. The research that I found shows that the brain can create new and different neural pathways, and everyone's brain seems to heal differently. Mm. So it's unpredictable. They are unwilling to predict how long a coma might last or why or how. There are studies about the rewiring and plasticity is the new term that they're throwing around of the brain. It's an amazing organ that's able to reconstitute itself in even the most traumatic of injuries. In Olivia's case, the swelling receded, and she went into a coma, and all they could do was wait and monitor. It's amazing, though, because sometimes people don't have the patience to wait. And I understand. Wait I understand. In Olivia's up. case, she, she would, yes, yes, and it's hard to know. It's, it's hard to know. I, you know, it, it's kind of an educated guess science, so they I do know. their best and and. I mean, if you read, if you read, you'd read, everybody's read the news that DMX overdosed on um, drugs, and they finally decided to take him off of life support. That was sad, and it was after two mm-hmm. or three weeks, and you just mm-hmm. you just don't know. So, this is also exciting. How did the police finally figure out who she was to notify her mother? Well, Sarah was Olivia's nurse, her sweet, wonderful, nurturing nurse. I loved Sarah's character, but anyway, she. In the midst, Sarah always believed that Olivia was in there. Always believed, although Olivia showed no signs of being conscious whatsoever. And um, if you've read the book, of course, you know that she's in there and she's screaming and she can't move, she can't hear, she can't see. Yeah. It's horrible. But she's she's in there. She's hearing everything. And Sarah just somehow has a sixth sense about that. But um, one day... You know, in hospitals, the TV is always blaring, and it's usually a local news station. Mm-hmm. And so one day, she's doing her normal things with Olivia and starts screaming. And Olivia, in her unconscious state, hears it and wonders, what the heck? And she starts screaming, that's you, that's you, on the TV. So um, what happened was Olivia's mother filed a missing persons report, and missing and and the police have to jot down all of that information, obviously. And the only thing she really knew was that her daughter had been in Richmond. So obviously they route the report and the photo that her mother had given them to the different outlets, to the hospitals, to the media outlets. And so sometimes the local news will pick that up as a public service. And so Sarah happened to catch it on the news. Well, then you do something that a lot of authors do, but... This one I got. It's very hard sometimes when people flash back and forth, but I got this. Good. You learn flash back and forth, and she meets Monty. And what do you learn about her personality? She needs to, you know, like, fuck up and get stronger and not be so much passive when it comes to him. Why did she feel that she needed to be controlled and not able to voice her own thoughts and opinions? I wanted to yell at her. Oh, oh yes. Well, um... Many, unfortunately, many women are raised in homes where the mom is mostly a single mom and the dad is an unhealthy, dysfunctional father or an absent father. Um, In many cases, these women do not get the appropriate attention from a normal, emotionally healthy male. So they have no uh, perspective that is healthy. And in many cases, uh, and I'm going to explore this in the next, verse, Sophie, 
Olivia's mother had problems choosing healthy and normal men as well. And that kind mm-hmm. of propagates itself generationally unless someone gets a hold of themselves and, and gets help. But so she, one of the men that she married was very domineering and controlling. And um, so this is what Olivia witnessed, what she observed. She be, She watched her mother become a background person. And so she had an unhealthy home life. So the first second she could, she jumped into marriage because she wanted to get away from the instability of the home. And the man she married, guess what, was just like one of the men that had been her stepfather with Soapy. Because what is comfortable is what we gravitate to. Mm. So, so when a man have... is charming... Go ahead. Yeah, I know. I didn't like, I didn't like him at all. God. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, they've not learned. They're starved for attention is what happens also. Yeah. Especially if the dad's absent. They've not learned appropriate physical and emotional boundaries. So when a man is charming and attractive and does give them attention, they're yeah. sitting ducks for inappropriate sexual attention, especially like rape or harassment or the domineering rager types of men. They're simply unaware of red flags that women with appropriate father figures would automatically recognize. A dad is so important in the home. Well, I can be very honest. I just wrote myself a note that I think young, young girls need to read this because I think that they full prey to these guys that think that they're wonderful and they're out there just for one reason and then they dump them, which is really yep, sad. Absolutely. Or rape them or assault them. Yeah, I know. Or abso- Absolutely. And especially with all the online dating going on. That My first book yeah. is about a woman addicted to online dating, and that's scary yeah. too. If you are um, an emotionally hindered woman, because of no fault of your own, just just your family circumstances when you were raised, then it's best to be educated and helped by women that are from emotionally healthy families and listen to what they have to say. That, that's very true, especially when the when the guy says, "Oh, if you not if you really like me, you you know, after all, don't oh, be naive." So yeah, we have Lily and Serena. What is their relationship before and after when they realize she has no memory at all? That has to be hard. And I saw that today, yesterday on one of the programs when they were going after a specific serial killer week on one of the channels. And I saw these yeah. girls finally reunited after 40 years when she finally Aww. realized that her friends were still, yeah, it was so sad. It was really good, though. She was brutalized by Bundy, Ted Bundy. When they finally got oh. him and he didn't think he was going to be killed, it was a great program. I'm learning a lot about serial killers. Well, I know. So why? Serial, why are really we drawn to that? What is? <laughs> Maybe there's yeah, something well, wrong my, with my that. husband watches them, so he got me hooked. And, and don't worry, I'm not writing a book about a serial killer. <laughs> um, it's, it's I've always liked though. those shows. Yeah, yeah but Lily and Lily. Yeah, the what about them? They're obviously confused. Um, because what they've been raised in an environment with a super domineering father, a father that they've learned to tiptoe around in their lives in order not to make him angry. Children will do anything to keep the peace. And Olivia doesn't realize that Monty is as dysfunctional and, and borderline sociopathic as he is but the girls watched Mm. their mom just like olivia watched her mom and so monty feels comfortable because that's what she knows 
And so the girls are there, too. They're like, well, this is Daddy. This is Daddy, and Daddy's always lead. You know, there can be just such a misconstrual of the word lead when it comes to a father's role in the home. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can just be um, a domineering, horrible person that's a bully, and um, which can lead to physical assault. But that's kind of another story. Monty really... He could have gotten physical, I guess, but but he doesn't really. Yeah. Um, but they're they're confused. So the, they're they're more close to their mom than they should be because the dad is mm-hmm. a dangerous presence in the home. They love him, but they're scared of him, which is just not not healthy at all. So they're when mom is gone, they're freaking out. They're freaking out. Like when when Olivia was not able to be found, Sophie was babysitting, and she tried to protect them, and she she tried to figure out what where her daughter could be, and and beat herself up for not asking for a specific name, which Olivia intentionally withheld, and that was another dumb decision she made. Um, and so after they find her mom, and after they realize she really doesn't they didn't really believe it at first but she really doesn't remember a thing nothing gone wiped clean mm. plus plus she's a different person she's she doesn't respond the same way she used to she's not shy and passive anymore she's abrupt and uh, curious and uh, defiant and she can't talk at first but there's still a different demeanor about her so yeah. you know, these girls they have to build a whole new relationship and they both struggle in different ways to accept their new mom. This is the truth because she becomes a she becomes much better. She stands up for herself. She, I mean, seriously, she does. And yes, absolutely, and she becomes a good role model now for her her girls. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. and I, I said to her, you know, it takes time sometimes. I took a teacher in the seventh grade to tell me to open my big mouth, which I haven't stopped, and speak out for myself. <laughs> Well, I had a I had a sixth grade teacher from you know where, and she told the whole class if yeah. you don't know the answer, I would prefer just teaching and not answering questions. So for ten months, nobody said anything except for maybe one person. Oh. So when I got to junior wow. high school, I had a ninety eight average, and the teacher didn't know who I was. So he he she wow. he had to look in his in his grade book to see where I was sitting, and he told my mother that if I want to get an A in his class, I have to start speaking out. It was a big mistake because I haven't stopped, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Well, so, there's so much when she fear finally speaks, when this finally speaks, the detective tried to unlock. How does he try to unlock her memories and what happens? And how long did it take for her to realize I'm Olivia, or to respond? That's the hard part. Um. Well. You know, the detectives, the investigators at the Richmond PD, yeah. they, they want to get to a potential victim as soon as possible to capture all of the details that may be lost later on. But with Livia, it was pointless because <laughs> she had no memory of anything whatsoever, but he didn't know that at first. And so he talked um, Olivia's neurosurgeon into letting him come and at least try after she started making little sounds. And and that was a disaster because in her subconscious, yeah. though she didn't remember, she still has a terror about an unknown male. And so her reaction was 
like um, just instinctive and primal. She immediately started reaching for Dr. Sturgis, who she's come to um, regard as her protector, and um, the detective was, was the enemy, so he had to back off and try again later. And happily, she started responding very quickly. They had no idea. I mean, she could have just gone into the Netherlands of, of a coma and been there for months, but she, Sarah, her sweet nurse, noticed yeah. um, at six days her little finger jumped, just one little finger. And from that point, things sped up. She started making nonsense sounds, and she got her words back, kind of nonsensical words, starting at three to five weeks. Um, currently, she still grapples with brain bubbles and makes her fair words backwards or wrong, which, which becomes humorous, but it's going to become part of Olivia's personality as well. I like Olivia. I have to ask this question even though it's early in the day. Are you bringing okay. her back? <laughs> Are you doing a sequel? Yes, I am. I've got oh, okay. I just want to make sure this is not a standalone. That I can't give up no, my Olivia. <laughs> I figured that one out too. This is I'm getting good at this stuff, I think. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's fun to try to figure it out. How did you create the dreams and the nightmares that she was having, and what were they about? That's hard too, because it was so realistic. I'm saying like, I don't think I want to read that because I'm going to have nightmares too. Well, I'm so excited. That's just music to an author's ears, isn't it, for someone like you, a reader, to feel like it was so realistic. So thank you for that. Um, this is how I created them. I personally, I've had extremely traumatic situations as a single parent and struggled with tormenting dreams, fear of how the children are going to be raised, fear of how you're going to pay the bills, fear of how, anyway, so I channeled Olivia through these, and and that works pretty well, right? Because I can remember that. I can remember yeah. waking up with cold sweats, and I can remember the stress and the pain of of the situation. And so I put myself in Olivia's head, channeling my own personal experience at, at approximately her age. I thought about how she'd probably experienced lots of trauma. Um, mm. Because Olivia probably didn't realize when she was a young girl and when she was married to Monty, she didn't realize she was being abused. She was being emotionally abused. Mm. She was being ignored. She was being bullied. She um, was being dismissed, which is worse than physical abuse sometimes, just for someone to turn their back on you or to ignore your opinions about anything, or worse, not to let you oh, have yeah. any, oh, yeah. which is the kind of man that Monty was. Um, I hate. Oh, go ahead. I hate when people do that, and people try. No matter who you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how astute you are, if they think you're smarter than them, no more, they're going to try to put you down, and don't let them do it. Right, right. We have to learn to stand in a very civilized and kind way. We have to just speak out and and change the subject or do whatever is necessary in order. For that not to happen, and yes, I've known many, many people like that, and I struggle with standing up to them, but, but I'm better. I'm, I'm learning, as we all are, as we go. No, I learned to stand up to people. Let me tell you, my mom had Alzheimer's, and I had to deal with um, the agency that 
she was I was working with a couple of them, and when I got mm-hmm. to the last one, this took guts. Let me tell you, um, I dialed the wrong number of Medicaid. I didn't realize it. I got the I got uh-huh. the director on the phone. The one thing you need to know when you're dealing with these people is that you have to be nice. I accidentally got the director on the phone, and she uh-huh. told me what to do. And I didn't realize, I didn't hear back from her. I got nervous. And I'm saying to her, what happened? She called me about, a, about three weeks later. She said, you're the only person that realized I was in the hospital. You never have to worry about your mother again. It'll be taken care of. You never have to worry about losing anything. It was, it was wow. frightening. Yeah, it was frightening because you don't, you don't know. And these people control what happens to you, whether you have services or not. So uh-huh. she realized that, that she had Dr. Sturgis and Sarah, and she was lucky to have them on her team. I mean, you have to really be lucky in a hospital to have anybody, especially lately, that cares. Medical professionals, from what I, they, they don't care as much. It's just a matter of co-pays and whatever. So how did she realize that Dr. Sturgis... And Sarah, I was glad that you created characters like that because I get upset when hospital people don't care. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we need more. There are some caring medical professionals out there. I think they're just so busy that they lose their sense of kindness. Um, Dr. Sturgis is a kind 60-something neurosurgeon who lost his wife to cancer. And, you know, anybody that's been through a life-threatening disease and loses a loved one, it just builds cancer. Uh, compassion. This has molded him into a gentle and compassionate doctor. Sarah is a typical lovely nurse that you'd find in any hospital in the South. Her inflections and the way she takes care of Olivia are indicative of the culture in which she was raised and her dedication to being a nurse. She also cares for and prays for Olivia. In reality, when I was thinking about Sarah, um, and your questions made me think about this, I think I was writing Olivia's guardian angel. I think that's what the manifestation of Sarah is. And why do we realize that she was blessed to have them on her team? Because of their care and concern and patience with Olivia, which, as you know, is is kind of erratic in our medical facilities sometimes. Mm -hmm. She was special from the beginning. Um, Olivia became special to both of them from the beginning. And, you know, her mom was a praying woman, and maybe the prayers kind of helped facilitate that concern Mm -hmm. and and that care as well. No, I agree with you. My mom had eight home health aides by the time I got done dealing with the agency. And I was, I oh, really, mean, seriously, eight. You're supposed to have two, but I had eight. Um, I explained because, to the agency after somebody left my mom on a street corner on August 13th, my sister's birthday, on 2007, to go into a store to buy something for her daughter. The next thing I get is she comes up to my apartment. It's a true story. Couldn't make it up. I lost your mother. Oh. I can't find her. I said, my mother's <gasps> in a wheelchair. How the, how the H did you lose her? And I went down to find her, whatever, and I called the hospital finally, and they told me where she was. I said, she's been there so many times. Why didn't you call me? So I got there. This was really bizarre. And this very strange guy that you would never go near whispers in my ear, I'm your brother, John. I say, I brought your mother to the hospital. Now, if you saw him on the street, you would go, oh, my God. I go, God bless you. Thank God for you. I could not believe he spent the whole time with me. He wouldn't leave my side. He was worried that I was upset. And then, of course, we took care of him because he did that. He didn't have to do that at all. I was like, wow. It it, it it happens. I mean, I, I could not believe that this person, but after that, whenever I asked for a specific aid, I got who I wanted. 
So uh-huh. then she's got a, a lawyer. Tell us why her lawyer, well, Mike, didn't seem to be eager to allow her to change motions and add her own opinions when she finally realized that Monty was a real piece of work. That bothered me. Well, Earl Sorensen the third is is just a typical uh, aging older man who has not taken mm-hmm. care of himself, who just doesn't want to work very hard. And so his client list has been whittled down, and he is just delighted that Olivia comes in, and she really doesn't want to fight. She she agrees to Monty's demands. She's she's yeah. passive, and Earl is delighted because oh, this is great. This is a slam dunk. I'm not going to have to do anything but collect. So um, as the story goes along, though, he kind of wakes up because she stands up to him after the coma. And she becomes a different woman and, and starts to develop her own strengths and her own personality and understand how to make her own choices. He respects her. He responds differently. And eventually, um, they do become friends. I, I really, I was like applauding her, seriously applauding her and saying, thank God you woke up because you don't let people yeah. step on you. I was like, that was like the coolest part of the book. And then yeah. we come to someone I really didn't like. Poor thing. She didn't realize it. <laughs> Poor Kristen. Mm-hmm. Why didn't she realize that she worked for Monty and um, he was worried about losing his job, but she was using so, her. You know, and she, there are bad, so girl. many. She didn't quite get it. Yeah. She was mean to her, too. Well, she's so, she's so young. And what I'm, I'm just disgusted with Monty that he – would use her like that because she's yeah, well, I mean, she's barely older than his daughters. But anyway, he was a, a disgusting man anyway, so shouldn't be surprised yeah. when that came out. But Kirsten, it's it's not Kristen, it's Kirsten. Kirsten is immature, selfish, and immoral. She knew Monty mm. was married and pursued him anyway. She's a spoiled child that understands little but the physical power she holds over men how many young women do you know, especially in today's culture, that wear oh, yeah. these scanty clothes and go out in these platform high heels? And, and and I feel so sad for them because that's not where where your value is. Your value isn't in a beautiful, attractive, young body. All that goes away. Your value is in your values, your integrity, your mind, your choices. So anyway, she's a spoiled child. She goes through life playing with men because she holds power over them with her physical attributes. But Monty was one that she thought might marry her, which was completely unrealistic, and she knew he was married. So Monty realized too late that she'd been a huge mistake. They had nothing in common. She's too young, and since they work together, he risks losing his job because she drapes herself all over him all the time in the office, not the most professional thing, and as we all know, that doesn't go over well with the higher up. So no, it it doesn't, and she didn't have a very great self-image, poor self-esteem. If she had to do that, and doesn't think very right. much of herself, if that's the only way you could get attention, not a good idea. Exactly. No. So now we have Niles, and what does she remember about him that triggers more memories? Um. Niles, 
I don't want to do spoilers here, so I'm trying to be careful. Okay, so we could we could skip that one and go to um, why does a detective want her to go to Richmond, and why doesn't she remember who she went with? There's something called post-coma aphasia. It's very common in recovering brain injury patients, and sometimes the victim or the um, uh, the incapacitated person remembers everything right away. They come right back, like, for instance, from stroke. Often, especially in trauma, the mind mm. has protected itself. The mind has protected itself by not allowing the person to remember. The trip to Richmond was specifically to trigger Olivia's painful, reluctant memories so he could get a warrant to search that house. They strongly suspected that this was the right person but um she her memories were erratic anyway she couldn't remember anything at this point very anything at this point having a hard time and so the painful memories would be even more difficult for her to, her to acknowledge that's scary i know well, sometimes you really don't want to remember you're right you, sometimes yeah. you just want to keep it blocked out and yet you really can't so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Some things I wonder. Yeah. I wonder about that. I've, yeah. I've had a lot of therapy, yeah. and I've had talks with a lot of people, and sometimes I think, like, some things should remain buried. You know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just think maybe the brain is just protecting us from increased trauma. Maybe some things we shouldn't know. I don't know. It's it, it's an interesting scenario, what the brain does. Now, I know what you're saying. There are some things I just like to black out, but you can't. <laughs> Whatever. Right. And I don't so. want to do the next question, if you don't mind, because that is a spoiler. We don't want to realize who it was yet. I got it. I just clustered it out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Now, this really got me, but it's typical. Okay. Monty, okay. go stick a sock in it. What happens when he decides he has a restraining order against him? Thank God. He doesn't seem to get it, and he decides he wants her back. Get real. I mean, really? That's a slam dunk. Go stick a sock in it. So what did he think that he could get her back? Well, he had reasons because he knew he was in deep, blind trouble. I know. Well, you know, how many men do you know that are clueless about themselves, especially the smart, arrogant ones that make a ton of money? I mean, they're clueless. And they're arrogant many times and bullies, and they can't get over themselves. And yeah. in Lonnie's case, he is he is a bully, and he blusters his way in to talk to her because in his deranged way of thinking, because he's a controller, because he's a ranger, he, he's blinded by his sense of superiority, he thinks he can talk her into anything because what he's yeah. remembering is the passive, shy young girl he married at 17. So, and they basically had this 20-year marriage of where he did everything he wanted to and she abdicated all her choices and her decisions to him because she didn't know that she was emotionally damaged. And so he, he can't even uh, get his head around this, this new woman. And he, and he hates it. He hates it. And so this hate also fuels his anger. And so... Um, also, also, what happens when he he comes and he tries to make her make sense of it? She, and when she stands up to him, 
This causes mm-hmm. him to get physically like a raging bull. Well, because he can't understand that he lost this battle and that Olivia is not the same doormat that she was before. No. So sad. No. Now, he can't we have men it. that seem to come after him. I wanted to be <laughs> one of them and help him out. So why does he allow them to come? <laughs> Seriously, I was like, Monty, you know, forget it. So why does men, why yeah. does, who are the men that seem to be after him, and why does he allow them to come into her home, and how do the girls, you know, help her? How do they help her? Um, He's not too bad, this guy. has a gambling addiction. Yep, and he does. So he... So he's in trouble, and as we know, there are enforcers. If you don't give money back, they are mm-hmm. going to beat it out of you, threaten you, intimidate you, do do whatever it what is pity. that they do. Too bad. And so they've been wait they've been waiting for him in the front yard, and kind of hidden. And when they see Monty arrive, which he shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah, I know. They run up on the porch and and force their way into the house and um so he's there like he doesn't know what to do he knows that they they've already threatened him once in his office with a gun so he knows that they have weapons more than likely so he's in the house he's trying to reason with them it was just Mm -hmm. ridiculous for him to go to the house in the first place but um lily and serena are watching this and they see that this is just the most strange situation and they become frightened serena is the more aggressive of the two and the older sister and so she's angry and defiant and lily is scared to death and crying so serena takes her outside and they just hide um, because they know their mom's on her way home they know or they call her i think they call their Mm -hmm. mom because she had just stopped close by to let one of the erratic memories that she experiences wash over her and then the girls call and she rockets home and confronts the men. And so when they find out she has a restraining order, they have no choice but to leave. So why do they want her to reconcile, even though they do realize she's dangerous to be around her, to be around them? Well, that's scary. I, you know, well, I think that children always want both parents to be together and happy. And they'll go to great lengths. Um, to, in their minds, hope that that happens. As a child, they want and need, both of them want and need, uh, well, I don't know where I am here. It's a deep desire and need, is what I meant to say. The kids, don't you think that children enter into a kind of magical thinking place as they're young and being raised by um, emotionally dysfunctional parents that love them, but act different from maybe other parents that they see. As children, that's what they got used to. They didn't think of daddy as domineering or controlling. They didn't think of their mother as fearful and a doormat. When Serena gets older, though, she's the more type A of the two, and she gets pretty disgusted with her mom. But there's been no real physical abuse. They don't know yet about what happens in the end. So the kids are still hanging on to the hope that the dream can happen. And as you go through the book, you see that Serena is very mad at her father, and, and there's a point where she reaches where she doesn't want to be with him or talk to him anymore. But Lily is the younger of the two. She's 12 in this book, I think, 12 or 13. And and she's still kind of a little girl, and she really loves her daddy. And so she definitely 
<clears throat> is hoping that they will reconcile. Now, the chapter that sort of is a climax to me that brings it all into light is chapter 34, when the mother has a hmm. talk with her girls, especially Serena. Does this help her, or does this help them to understand better? Yes, um, I think any communication helps, and Serena is 16 at this point, and that's a very difficult age, as you and I know, for girls. They're trying to figure things out. They're struggling with sexual issues. They're um, not quite adults, but they're on their way, and it looks like she's lost both her parents now. Her dad's moved out, and her mom can't remember And so she is angry and defiant. So Olivia has this deep knowledge and knowing that she has to enter into her girls' lives as this new and unfamiliar, uncomfortable person still trying to remember things and just start any kind of conversation just to give them the kind of attention that they crave. Mm. So, So, yes, I think it helps, and I think what Olivia does is uncover what Serena is really struggling with. She's struggling with the past where her mom doesn't even barely remembers her birthday, doesn't remember what they mm, used to yeah, do for remember her that. birthday. Yeah, yeah. And so she's lost. She's lost. They, she feels like she's lost both her parents. And unlike Lily, who is kind of uh, needy and emotional and still young and tender, Serena's developing a hard shell. And um, Olivia has to try to puncture that shell to get in to that tender part of her that she's trying to hide because she's in so much pain over the whole thing. Now, before I forget, I might listen to me. I just realized. Monday, this is going to be so outrageously exciting. All my shows are outrageously yeah. exciting. New York <laughs> Times author Daniel Parma is going to be here with the perfect daughter. And I was honored Yay. that he said he would do the interview with me. Whoa. On the 21st, the author of Hit or Miss, Jeff Markowitz. On the 26th, we have the authors of Condition Bark. On the 28th, we have Joe Perone's sister, Becky, talking about especially relationship with her cat. And what better way to start May than with Dick Belsky and the Claire Carlson's. Oh, I love Dick. He's the best. Yeah. And he yeah, thinks I know, I know what I'm doing, too, which is even better. Um, yeah. <laughs> The Claire Carlson uh, beyond the headlines. I can't. I was like, I couldn't put it down, and that that is my problem when I read. Um, <laughs> if the book is like yours, really good, then the problem is I read it in a day, and my eyes bother me, and then the next author oh. has to wait a while. That's too bad. I don't oh, care. I see. Yeah. Well, well I can tell yeah. that I'm in good company, friend, with all your authors coming up. You you are, and Vincent Zandri is coming on next month with Paradox Lake. It's so cool. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, Olivia's time seems to go back to being the old Olivia when she can't decide whether to press charges against Monty and face a harsh reality about someone else. That, that bothered me. I'm like, you know, it's about time you took action. So, How does she decide on her decision to make about him? Because that's a hard one, too. This is the thing with Olivia. She doesn't trust herself yet. Yeah, I know. It's 
it's very difficult for her not having memories, not understanding who she was before the assault. And so she wrestles emotionally with what her mom had taught her all her life, which is to forgive. Mm-hmm. She hasn't emo- yeah, she hasn't emotionally become who she's supposed to be yet or fully realized how screwed up she's been either. So she tries, she has to think about it. She tries to find the right thing to do, then immediately doubts herself. She second guesses herself all the time right now in this twilight zone between moving ahead and looking back. When her mother tells her, this, this is one of my favorite lines in the book, mm-hmm. mercy doesn't mean stupid, honey. Yeah, I know. When her, when her mother tells her that, it strikes a chord. The reality is, you can forgive someone for what they've done, but that doesn't mean there are not consequences for their actions. And you certainly don't have to hang around them when you forgive them either. So she is just struggling with ethics, the moral, mm-hmm. proper thing to do, and then combine that with her emotional feelings because feelings often lie to us. And so she's, she's just trying to find out, okay, where's, where's the best decision? Where's the common denominator here? Mm -hmm. The the sad part is, you know, a lot of people have trouble, you know, forgiving. Olivia, Mm -hmm. don't forget. You can forgive somebody and keep it on the table in the back of your mind, but don't forget what they did because what's to stop them from doing it again? Right. That's that's the thing. Mercy doesn't mean being stupid. (laughs) Hang on to your mind. Combine it with common sense. No, you don't want to put yourself in that situation again. But yes, forgive so the anger doesn't eat you up inside. So she can't make a decision, permanent decision about her future. And it's going to be a while before Olivia becomes fully Olivia. That's hard. So why doesn't she feel that she can make any permanent decisions about her, her final, whatever happens finally at the end, which we can't tell anybody? Um, she basically hasn't decided about she hasn't decided about her future sort of well see that's the next book (laughs) she at the end of the book um, she is in a place no spoilers but she is in a place where uh, she just wants to take time out and work on herself she wants to figure things out she's journaling she goes on a journey with therapists, physical therapists, um, occupational therapists, and just on a journey of self-discovery, which don't we all wish we could do that, just take two or three months off. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, she does get uh, financial uh, incentive at, at the end, so she really doesn't have to worry about those kind of things for a while. And um, so she just wants to float and not be too stressed about things until she can trust herself, and that's what she's looking to do. Well, no matter how you turn it, for some reason, her personality still revolves around the fact that she needs the approval of other people before she makes a decision, and that sometimes you don't need their approval. You need to just make your decision, and for that, where she hasn't really changed. Okay, now, this Hmm. is the hard question. We have okay. about 10 minutes. Lies, okay. I wrote this. I typed it. <laughs> I actually spelled the words right, too. Lies, betrayals, trust, truth, and deceptions are all part of this novel. 
how do they fit the, some of the characters? Because, I mean, Kristen got fooled, seriously, blindsided. Monty, in, his, in a sense, well, maybe he got blindsided at, at the end, too, for whatever reason. So the betrayal seemed to be the, the the biggest thing there, and Olivia has to learn how to trust. How does she learn who to hate, who to have to trust, and who to trust? Well, yeah, this was a humdinger of a question. Thanks for that, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> um, reading reading this question, I think mostly of Monty. Yeah, um, I'm going to dig up his past in the next book, but. Something in his upbringing really ticked him off, and he does life thinking everybody owes him. Yeah. You know, people people don't know in many cases why they are the way they are. They just think that the way they are is the way that they should be. Um, so he is chronically angry. Everything sets him off. This sets in place a train of events. For instance, Olivia has had to lie and maintain a pleasant facade, even in the face of extreme emotional abuse and possible physical danger. Yeah. She has to tiptoe around her life in order to avoid another one of Monty's meltdowns, especially in front of the girls, because she wants to save them as much trauma as she can. So in many cases, the girls don't realize how bad their dad is because she hides it. She wants to protect them at all costs. I um, This was an interesting question, but I think... All of my characters suffer from some form of de- delusion, and, yeah. and it made me think. I, I think we all do. I think we all have our own little routines of magical thinking in certain areas that are either too painful to think about or, or that we feel insecure about. I think that our upbringing defines us so much, and we become what we see muddling through as best we can until we find the things that do define us. Hopefully, we'll be prepared for both suffering and victory in our lives and respond in the right ways. But many times, we don't know how to respond when life falls short of our expectations. And so, I think that my characters lie to themselves in order to make Mm -hmm. things right that probably aren't right. And then, when they do that, they deceive others into believing that everything is just fine. But it isn't. So, this story, this book places on Olivia the weight of defining herself by truth and her journey is discovering that plumb line that keeps her on an even keel and avoiding the toxic things that set her up for disaster, which is exactly mm-hmm. what you said. <laughs> so that's her journey yeah. now. And the, and the next book will define further that journey. Yeah, what is next for her? and Where do you see her next? Without giving too much away, And when am I getting it? No, seriously. <laughs> the name of the book is The Rising which kind of gives you some idea of what we're oh, going to nice. do here. Um, and she is sick. She is sick of therapy. It, it picks up 18 months later. And she is so disgusted and sick of therapy, and she wants to stop analyzing herself, and she, in essence, mm-hmm. wants to spread her wings. And one, Serena's in college now. She's in college at Richmond, um, and um, the neurosurgeon is still around, and Sophie and he are together, and um, she's on a a journey of self-discovery, but along the way, her path catches up with her Mm -hmm. in ways that she, she doesn't see coming, so 
because she still grapples with memory loss. Things catch up to her that just totally blindside her. So she, she has obstacles in the way of her journey, I guess, and we all do. But hers are pretty dramatic in the next book. Yeah, she's going to sort of relapse something, but no, she's going to, you know, I have faith in Olivia. She's going to become a major force in this world and help other people and become a tech. And she's going to try, talk to, to girls and tell them, this is what you need to do, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just, just yeah. me. Yeah, and if they would only just listen. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. where can everybody find this book? And um, when is this new one coming out? I have to put it in my schedule of busy people. Oh, thank you. Um, March of 2022 is the next one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what? You're booked. You're all booked in March already, huh? Well, they, they, everybody so has, to, has to find them. Where do they find them, all of them? Um, well, anywhere online that books are sold, Amazon.com, BN.com, IndieBound, um, and uh, Barnes & Noble had, on Hilton Head has my book. They're stocking my book. Um, my website, my Facebook author page, my personal Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, I'm all over the place. Um, but if they are not wanting to use Amazon, they can definitely go to bn.com or they can go into any Barnes & Noble and ask them to order the book. Well, before I forget, June 26th, my new book is coming out. I yeah. picked that date, like I said. It's called, are you ready? Population Zero. It's a world uh. without people. Yeah, it's strange. It's I write scary stuff. It's like the Twilight Zone. So Vincent Zandri yeah. told me when he gave me the blurb for the back cover. And he sa- it says, um, they, the publisher wrote stories but at, at the end of the world, but basically it should have been a world without people. I created nine worlds that you wouldn't want to live in, neither would I, that have wow. no people. Yeah, it's a world of ice. A world of snow, a world of um, oh. coldness, a world of sun, no sun, and a world of a forest you wouldn't want to be quite dead in. And I invited nine people to come back, spirits, to experience the world to tell people what happens and if they would want to, mm-hmm. you know, start realizing in this world you need to start being nice. I wrote it because of the pandemic because I don't like what I see. And mm, I don't like um, the, the animosity and I don't like the hate and the mm. horror. So I decided to mm. write something to make people think. The last two stories I can't tell you because I don't know what possessed me to write them, but hopefully people will like it. And yesterday I was mm. honored that two very well-known authors agreed to read the PDF and give me an early review. Yay! Yeah, Yay. And, you know, you never know what people are going to think. But I want to mm-hmm. thank you so much. This has been fun, actually. You took my mind off of it. has, and I wrote it. down the date for your next book, so I'll be looking for it. Oh, everybody look for my book because I'm going to need all the help I can get. <laughs> what can I say? I got picked up by Amazon, Atmosphere, Atmosphere Press. They're, you know, mm-hmm. independent, and they did a fairly good job. But when it comes to mm-hmm. marketing, pretty much, you know, they helped me to a point, but basically I'm doing it on my own. Um, mm-hmm. Because they, their packages are a little too steep for for that, so I they you know they're helping me to a point. But I want to thank right. you so much. You brighten my cloudy day. It's raining outside, people. I don't I don't know where you are, but yeah, I'm in Westchester. I'm in I'm in Hilton Head. It's cloudy. It's cloudy here too. And I thank you so much for having me on the show and for your very incisive, probing questions. 
it's um, going to give me a lot of good, deep background for the book two that I'm about halfway through right now. And I'm pretty sure, let me look at my phone here, the one that doesn't cooperate over. And I know I posted <laughs> the review. At least I hope I did. Otherwise, I'll do that after oh. when, I, oh, when good, I come back you. from. Yeah, I, I did. Reviews, man. They mean everything. They mean everything to me. Oh, no, I have to post it later. Is the book out on Amazon? Because I, that's why I didn't post it. I wasn't sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. My book's been out I since will, uh, February 23rd. It's on Amazon, I ebook, will, and uh, paperback. I will do it later. I'll post it on my on Monday, Just Reviews. I will send it to Cheryl, and then I will post it with my 75 stars later. I haven't been giving 5,000 in a while. <laughs> Seriously, I've been giving like... If a book isn't three and a half, four stars, I just write a summary. I won't write a nasty review because it's not right to pan somebody's work. That's a really bad thing to Uh do. So before Uh I end, how I end every show is one small ask. Please, when you go outside, protect yourself and me and wear a mask. And be careful. Stay safe, everybody, because this miserable virus isn't going anywhere anytime soon, which is really sad. So... Carrie, stay in touch. Do you do panel shows, by the way? Uh, yes, I do. Oh, good. Panel shows. We've done it. an author panel with my publisher for our whole release period right now. We're thinking about doing a podcast with our publisher on a regular basis, so that's in the works. Well, I do panel shows with authors, and you never know what the topic's going to be. So I've got one oh, coming well, listen, on. If you 20- can ever use me, I would love to. I will definitely do because you do research, and that's one of my topics that's coming up next. So, everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, and bye.